You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. So that would mean around 142 million people around us may be lonely, and as many as 23 million may be intensely lonely. And that was Dr. Kevin Vost. Kevin was talking about loneliness, a subject many of us don't talk about, but it affects, as you heard, millions of people. So that's where we're talking about today on CatholicExchange.com. I'm your faithful editor and host, Michael Lichens. Thank you very much for joining me. Kevin is the author of The Catholic Guide to Loneliness, which we're talking about, but more than that, we're going to be talking about how loneliness affects so many people and how science and faith actually can help us combat it even at societal levels. Also, we're going to talk about practical steps you can take today if you're feeling lonely. This is a great episode, so without further ado, here's Kevin and I talking about loneliness. And Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Welcome. Uh, We're talking today about your book, The Catholic Guide to Loneliness. Uh, To start us out here, what inspired you to want to write about loneliness? Hello, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here with you uh, again today. And yeah, this is an, an interesting book here. Uh, the majority of my books, I propose the topics myself. This mm-hmm. one, I was asked by Sophia's publisher because he saw uh, a need and was aware that I had a psychological background. So this is one of those books I was asked to write about. So, and I found it very fascinating as I dug into the uh, the research on loneliness. You know, I, I looked at the scientific research in psychological journals and sociological journals and medical journals, and discovered that uh, you know. Charlie McKinney there, Sophia, was right on target. This is considered a, a major growing problem now in our mm-hmm. time. Some even talk about it as a looming epidemic. Yes. Uh, this loneliness is just rising in, in amazing ways. So I thought it very important to know about this phenomena, you know, what's going on out there, uh, and, and also look at some of the reasons why that the secular uh, literature looks at to show why, and then also try to address this, you know, not only with the background of a psychologist, but, but as a Catholic. To see, you know, what wisdom is there, you know, within our own church, our own tradition that can help us uh, cope with loneliness if we're feeling lonely and also to help us overcome it if possible and to reach out and help uh, others who might be uh, dealing with loneliness. That's a great idea. And yes, you do hear about it a lot. Uh, anyone who reads a newspaper once in a while, even mainstream papers such as The Guardian and The Economist have talked about it. In fact, I think The Guardian had a headline years ago saying the age of loneliness is literally killing us. I've heard that a lot. For my perspective, it looks like, yes, society, we've alienated ourselves. It is literally killing us. Would you say that's a fair assessment, that it's having this great of an impact on our society? Well, well, yes, yes, and, and not to be, you know, pessimistic or to make no, people no, think there's not. not an alternative. But, yes, some research has shown it is uh, a mortality risk. A comparable to to obesity and smoking. In other words, if a person is significantly lonely for a long period of their life, they do tend to live shorter lives. They've compared this with the risk of, of living alone extensively, of having a you know a lack of support systems, and loneliness itself rates uh, about the same as those others in being a risk factor. So it's something that that we definitely want to avoid if we can. And if we are lonely, if there's nothing that we can necessarily do to alleviate it, we need to know how to to cope with it so it's less distressing to us. And that's where psychology can come in and also the great comforts that come through Christ and our Catholic faith. As a Catholic, I'm sure you can feel this as both a psychiatrist and a Catholic. It's really amazing to see when science is starting to talk and address things that we've been talking about for 2,000 years, because I know in Catholic literature we've talked about loneliness. 
Uh, what were some of the things you read within Catholic literature, the Catholic tradition on loneliness? Sure, sure. You know, uh, if people know me, they know I'm going to go to Thomas Aquinas. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's so a good influential. place to start. <laughs> That's right. Thomas was, you know, so influential in bringing me back to the faith after many years uh, away. So, so one way I look at Thomas uh, in regard to loneliness is his great stress on virtue. And he saw the virtues, the the natural virtues that we all have, like justice and prudence or practical wisdom, the capacity for temperance or self-control and fortitude or courage, how those kind of virtues and then the wonderful theological virtues that God graces us with, faith, hope, and charity, you know, these virtues are guided toward making us happy on earth and then happy, you know, eternally happy afterwards. But actually, too, when we practice these virtues, we perfect our abilities to, to also control our emotions, to control how upset we get by bringing them in line with reason and with the truths of our faith. So that, that's one way the Catholic tradition, I look at in detail, it ways very specific virtues can help us cope with loneliness. Uh, a second way I pull from the Catholic tradition, there's a wonderful tradition of spiritual friendship. Mm. How developing, you know, intense virtuous friendships with others can help bridge the gap of what's called uh, emotional isol- isolation, that, that form of loneliness where we don't have close people to confide in. And here I found there's a fascinating history. Uh, one of the Roman philosophers, Cicero, wrote a wonderful treatise on friendship you know, before the time of Christ. Uh, and centuries later, the St. Aelred of Riveau, a Cistercian uh, abbot from the 12th century, wrote this glorious book called Spiritual Friendship, where he Hmm. built upon Cicero, but focused on how Christ is the foundation of every friendship. And then interestingly, a few centuries uh, later, uh, St. Thomas did the same thing, building on Aristotle's monumental writings on friendship. And when he wrote about the virtue of charity, St. Thomas showed how charity is friendship with God. So that was another way I pulled into the learning of our church by dealing uh, deeply with this spiritual friendship. And a third way, of course, as Catholics and Christians, we're going to focus on the lessons of Christ himself. Mm-hmm. And some theologians have, have argued that when Christ is upon the cross, his loneliness was even more powerful than his physical pain, you know, that, that depth of loneliness there. So another source I borrow from there is uh, St. Thomas More's wonderful book called The Sadness of Christ. Yes, beautiful book. Absolutely. And he focuses there not only on Christ as a cross, but he focuses in great depth of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he, he knows this cross is coming before him, you know, he brings his three closest friends there to, to wait with him. And while he's praying to God, you know, he finds they're letting him down. They keep falling asleep. At the same time, another supposedly close friend, Judas Iscariot, is awake and actually plotting you know, to, to bring Jesus toward that cross. There's very, very powerful lessons there. Other lessons we can find from Christ or in our Catholic tradition, what are called the Jesus' seven last words on the cross. These seven statements he made, culled from all four of those gospels. And in all of those, we can, we can also find lessons for loneliness. Uh, also in the, in the lives of all kinds of saints, they have lessons for us in dealing with loneliness. So there's just an amazingly rich, Catholic tradition that can help us cope with our loneliness, and I tried to pull, you know, from a variety of those sources in this book. Some really great sources, especially St. Thomas More's Sadness of Christ, which might 
that's one of those books I haven't read it in nine years, but it stays with you in a way that few books can. So fantastic. I should be surprised that Kevin, I know you've been on the Catholic Exchange podcast several times, so it should never surprise me what books you find and what you read for your research. But every time I was like, yeah, that's a great book. And then others are going, oh, I should read that soon. Keeping up with appearances. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, Michael. Another thing that really struck me uh, with St. Thomas More was kind of the parallels in his own situation in Christ, you know, because Thomas More did a lot of his writing, you know, when he was in the Tower of England. Uh, put there because he refused to go along with King Henry VIII and, and acknowledge that he was the head of the church because he knew that the Pope was. So par- so mostly because of his faith, he awaited his own execution, you know, like Christ. You know, he suffered a willing uh, martyrdom. So he's, you know, particularly rich in insights, partly because of his own life situation. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry, Michael, there was just cut out just a bit. Did you ask about the scientific research, some of the highlights? Yes, uh, absolutely, if you can. Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, one of the studies that really struck me, really made news in the year 2006, uh, a large study through the University of Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, was done at first in 1985. And they, they surveyed 1,500 adults, asking them who they confided in. You know, who, who have you confided in about important issues in your life in the last six months? And they asked them for the people's names or their initials so they could actually, you know, tally them, not just some general estimate, you know, so you'd actually have hard data. Uh, they repeated this in 1984, uh, almost 20 years later, and the findings were really striking. Uh, back in 1984, the, the modal number, the number most people said they had to confide in their lives was three people. By the year 2004, that most common answer had actually dropped to zero. About a quarter of respondents said they didn't really have any person to confide in. Now, in terms of average, where you, you grouped in, you know, I have one person, I have six or more, the average dropped from about three to two. But the researchers themselves said they were very surprised by these findings. They were not expecting it. So mm-hmm. here we saw, you know, in the last decades of the 20th century, a significant drop in that you know, very intimate level of who can we talk to about the things that are important in our lives. So, And, and after that, other research was done. The... AARP, the American Association of Retired People, did a big study of their own in 2010, and they found about a third of adults, of of 300 respondents in their Mm -hmm. sample, reported that they were significantly lonely, and it didn't differ significantly between men and women. It was around a little over a third for both. Uh, You know, more recent studies have estimated that up to 32% of adults experience loneliness and up to seven percent describe intense feeling of loneliness so to get some sense of that magnitude even within the u.s i think i read recently our population's over 326 million people now Mm -hmm. so that would mean around 142 million people around us may be lonely and as many as 23 million may be intensely lonely you know so that is a truly a vast number of suffering souls uh, also, in recent years, in 2013 and then again in 2015, two of the major psychology journals, you know, devoted their, their whole series of articles, entire issues, to this focus on loneliness. You know, what does the research have to say around the world, and what can we do about it? Certainly, that's those are even bigger numbers than I could have anticipated. And I'm someone who's read a little bit about this, so. Do you find that uh, when you've talked about this subject with other people, especially other Catholics, are people usually surprised at how pervasive loneliness is? Or are most people going, oh, yeah, of course, that's what I have to wrestle with every day? 
Yeah, you know, I don't often talk about the exact numbers, but in general, people are not are not surprised. But it's interestingly interesting, you know, and maybe too. I'm I'm in my mid fifties now. Mm-hmm. I may run into run with an older crowd. But one thing I I did notice when I was working on this book and would mention it to people, uh, almost the vast majority would say, "Are you going to talk about?" You know, things like our electronic age and, yes. and cell phones and the Internet and how that impacts loneliness. Uh, so that came up time and time again. And, and that, you know, is one of the themes uh, in the research. And this is not, to, of course, to, to uh, buy, you know, to bash the wonders of technology, all the potential good there in so many ways. But, you know, again, you know, virtue is a matter of finding that golden mean, the, the just right you know, in something, and it's so easy to miss the mark by, by going overboard sometimes, yes. and it seems like for some of us with those electronic marbles, we have overshot the mark to where it's led us to increasing isolation. You know, it's kind of an irony that, you know, many of us may be connected to, you know, Lord knows how many Facebook friends and others through social media, but we just have to exercise care that that doesn't reduce our face-to-face contact with those who are right around us. So again, you know, that was another important theme that we need to very responsibly use the, the wonders of modern media to help us, you know, connect more closely rather than to allow a, to substitute for real connections. Absolutely. And I was actually going to ask you about electronics, uh, because it's something that we've all, I would say about 80% of our listeners will listen to this podcast on their cell phone. Sure. So, and in some ways, technology can bring us together. But have you also noticed in your research that and you touched on it, but in your research, have you noticed that people are actually finding increased loneliness, even though that we have social media and things like that? Uh, yes, from from various you know studies and opinions I've read, it seems like it's kind of a mixed bag. I sure, mean, I'm not sure if there's one certain documented trend. It can go either way, of course, and can vary uh, by person. But you know, just one trend is, of course, the cell phones and things can keep us connected. We have we can communicate at times and in situations where we never could before, mm-hmm. which is a, which is a wonderful blessing. But we just need to be aware that, that it isn't depersonalizing us. And here here's one trend that some researchers have talked about. Uh, you know, we we got the cell phones. People are talking, of course, by phone at all times. Then also that capacity to to text came in, which can also be wonderful. It could be an unobtrusive way, you know, of connecting with people, letting them respond at their own time. But but it's been found that, that some young people, especially now, are becoming uncomfortable with telephone conversations, mm. you know, feeling unduly stressed by that, where they almost text to the exclusion of phone calls. And with some, it may even extend to face-to-face conversations where people just, just feel more comfortable, you know, texting rather than just having that, that connection. Sure. But we have to be careful, you know, when we move from, from face-to-face contact to phone and then from phone to text, we're kind of losing some intimacy there. Like the simple difference, of course, between the phone and the text is, too, you're not hearing that person's unique voice. Uh, So something to keep in mind, you know, we want to embrace these new technologies, but make sure we're using them to truly draw closer together rather than to substitute for more intimate forms of connection. For a lot of folks who are looking at this book, they might be wondering, as I often do when I would send Barnes & Noble or a used bookstore and see a book on loneliness, it's like, well, yeah, I have loneliness, but is this book good? going to be like step one, get some friends? But what would you say is a good first step, though, for someone who is experiencing loneliness right now? Sure, sure. And I love that question because really there's there's been a lot of recent research that kind of bears mm-hmm. this out. You know, research studies, they're called uh, meta-analyses. They they take a group of previous studies and apply statistics to them as a whole, as if it's one giant study. Mm-hmm. And some of these, by doing that, have had subjects numbers in the millions 
uh, of subjects by the studies they can group together this way. And, and some of the most common psychological techniques are things like, yeah, helping people get broader support networks, try to help them form friends, join groups, and so forth. That, that's a valid you know, technique. Another is training in social skills. You know, like make sure people ha have skills to introduce conversations or to make eye contact, to ask questions and so forth. And for some people that makes a difference. But, but the therapy that tends to make the biggest difference is something called treating something called um, maladaptive social cognition. In other words, when people get lonely, they tend, their thinking tends to become distorted. They stay mm. lonely for a long time. You know, they become more hesitant to reach out to others. Uh, most lonely people do have social skills, but their thinking can get distorted to prevent them from using them. Oh. You know, you're less likely to reach out or you're, you're hypersensitive that someone is going to reject you. So one of the most helpful techniques to start is really to kind of control your own thinking, to think more adaptively about these situations, to more realistically cope with rejection, you know, and accept it, to be willing to take chances and, and reach out even though others might not reciprocate. Uh, there's also a common tendency among people with prolonged loneliness to become more negative and pessimistic, even in their memory. They tend to focus and remember more situations where they were rejected or things didn't go well, sure. as, as opposed to positive situations. So again, uh, based, by, based on the research, a really good starting point is what's called cognitive therapy or, or ways of thinking and talking to yourself in more sensible, rational ways that can help you endure loneliness, you know, even if it persists. And one thing I find of great interest is, you know, this is one of those cases, too, where our Catholic wisdom was centuries ahead of, of modern yes. psychology and psychiatry. Yes, because this very concept of the virtues, the natural virtues through Thomas Aquinas and church fathers before him, is they're basically, we're bringing our desires and our passions and our emotions in line with right reason or just a you know a common sense rational view of reality so there really is a great overlap between training ourselves in more adaptive thinking and growing in natural virtue mm. and that's interesting you bring that up i think a lot of people can relate to that those prolonged feelings of loneliness where your thinking starts to get a little distorted in many ways i would compare it to when you haven't been to a gym in a while and suddenly you have ideas of what going to a gym is like that has nothing at all to do with reality, it's, you know, no one's going to make fun of you for being out of shape or anything like that, but you have it in your head and that can make it harder to take that initial first step. I think a lot of us can relate to that for sure. Oh, and I love that point that you made, Michael, because an old, old friend that I met at a gym in the late 70s when I was an instructor mm -hmm. and and he and his wife joined as members. Now it's, you know, we've known each other for 30 some years. And I saw him in our current gym, a different gym today. And we were talking about some of our old uh, friends. And he said, you know, Kevin, he said, what really impressed me and my wife was, you know, we've been told, oh, you know, don't go to that gym. It's full of these muscle heads. They're going to look down and make fun of you because you're, you're not a, a fit person. He said, but it was just the opposite, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and in a good gym, hopefully you will find that. And sometimes even it's the most... Uh, serious folks who are really into their fitness who can most appreciate that person off the street or who hasn't been there for a while, you know, who's coming back in and going to take care of their health. So I, I even write in the book a little bit, you know, being, being what they call a gym rat or a person who spent so much time in the gym over the years, mm -hmm. that that can be, you know, it can be a meaningful way uh, of connecting uh, with others just in that gym itself. We've talked about the negative aspects of loneliness, and of course there are many, and I'm not 
going to tell anyone that there aren't any negative aspects, but in Catholic tradition, we also have this idea that solitude can be a time of enriching growth and really a time to become more of who you're meant to be. Would you say that we can use the loneliness that's going on in our current age to really profit from solitude as well? And how would that look like? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, Michael. After I wrote this book, I was in, in contact with a, a psychiatrist who I believe is Jewish, mm-hmm. and he brought to my attention a quotation from a theologian uh, who was Protestant, uh, Paul Tillich, and he summed this up very nicely. He said that uh, loneliness is the pain of being alone, and solitude is the joy or the glory of being alone. Okay. Uh, you know, the idea that, you know, we can feel lonely even when we're within a crowd, Mm-hmm. And we may not, and we can may not feel lonely at all when we're by ourselves. So that that solitude is that capacity to embrace being alone. And this is where we have so so many examples in our great Catholic tradition. You know, for, from Christ Himself who goes out into the desert, you know, for forty days, uh, to the the early desert fathers, the hermits and monks who went out in the desert, you know, to to be alone to commune with with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have this in tradition in Russian Orthodoxy. There's a man called the, the Startsy who go out into the woods and, and live in isolated monasteries or as hermits who then become a source of spiritual direction to others. There's a great history in the, the uh, history of the Irish saints. Even my namesake, St. Kevin of Glendalock, was, was a hermit for seven years before he was pulled out of the forest and, uh, and started a monastery there in, in Glendalock, uh, Ireland. St. Catherine of Siena. A wonderful Dominican saint spent several years you know, praying, almost isolated in her room before she went out on her wonderful social ministries. And there's just case after case of great Catholic saints who have embraced that period of loneliness, I mean, of solitude, to commune with God, and then to grow in strength and insight to then go out, connect to others, and make a real difference out in the world. Wonderful. Well, there's a lot of great saints. So we have the examples, of course, to grow in that time and to really become more of who we were meant to be. Would you say that you can also use solitude to learn how to, say, become a better friend or become a better Christian or anything like that? Well, well, yes, absolutely. And it's interesting that you talk about uh, become a better friend, too, because both Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas say that a true friendship is kind of patterned after what we should have as our natural self-love. mm you know, and Christ told us, you know, to love God with all that we are and our neighbor as ourself. That does include the self. And when we can embrace solitude, when we can get that, you know, a better sense of being with ourselves, you know, when we are alone, just, just us and God. Also, if we can use this time to, to try to go, to grow uh, in virtue, the more virtuous, you know, we can become through God's grace, the more comfortable we are going to be with ourselves when we are alone, you know, our, our memories are going to more likely be ones that can lift us up rather than drag us down. There's just so many, many ways uh, that, that solitude can help us cope with loneliness. And this is just, you know, it comes out loud and clear when you read the life. You know, at some point, I would say probably at some point in the life of almost every Catholic saint, you're going to find periods where they have embraced uh, solitude. Absolutely. And now going back to some of the effects of loneliness. So what would you say are some good key steps for people who are finding, you know, I just can't defeat loneliness. It's been so long and I'm feeling this residual effect for so long. Is there a good first step for the folks who are listening now? Besides buying your book, of course, we'll be giving links to that. But what are some other steps? Sure, sure. You know, in the book itself, you know, I just kind of give a, a history in the survey. Mm-hmm. 
Catholics who are feeling down might want to make sure they've, they've read some of the great books, you know, on redemptive suffering. Because, mm. you know, loneliness is a form of suffering that can be offered up as redemptive uh, suffering. There are, you know, wonderful books out there. Peter Kraft has written written some. Um, C.S. Lewis's great book, a, a Grief Observed After the Loss of His Wife, is another, you know, wonderful classic example. So, but if a person, you know, if they found this is going on a long time, uh, if they're really concerned about it, if the loneliness is impacting their life, there's about a 50% overlap between depression and loneliness. You know, so, so if the loneliness would come to the point where it could be, you know, causing some overall mental distress, then a person, you know, might want to look into seeing a good therapist. You know, ideally a Catholic therapist who could help them, uh, you know, deal with their maladaptive cognitions, their maladaptive ways of thinking and talking to themselves, you know, in the light of the truths of the Catholic Church. Now, Kevin, for anyone who wants to learn more about this book or learn about you, where can they find out? Sure. Well, you know, my own website is just drvost.com, just D-R-V-O-S-T dot com. And I have a box there where people can write in to ask me questions. Uh, the book is from Sophia Institute Press, and mm. where actually most of my books come from Sophia. So that would be a great resource for this book and other books. They also put out a few years ago The Catholic Guide to Depression, which is kind of a, a, a very nice manual that goes right along with this one. As they both address that, that huge area of overlap between depression and now loneliness. Very good. Well, thank you very much for enlightening us on this subject. I know it's a big one to tackle, and I'm excited for your book to be coming out. It comes out here in September for all of you who are listening. It's A Catholic Guide to Loneliness, How Science and Faith Can Help Us Understand It, Grow From It, and Conquer It. It's available on sophiainstitute.com. We'll have links at catholicexchange.com both to this book. Also, some of Kevin's past books, all of them are a joy to read. I don't know how this man finds time to write, but he does, and we appreciate it immensely. But, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us and enlightening us. Well, thank you so much, Michael. I just hope some people get some solace if they are lonely or some inspiration to reach out to the lonely if they're able to do that. Amen to that. Thank you. <laughs>